and welcome to another Veterinary Team Training Podcast. My name is Amy Newfield, and I'm both the host and owner of Vet Team Training. Please check out my other blogs, vlogs, and podcasts at vetteamtraining.com. Today, I want to talk to you about my love of senior pets. I love old dogs, old cats. And for many of you, you may not be aware that there's so many things that we in the veterinary hospital can do to help really enrich their lives and their veterinary visits. So let's dive into what is a senior pet, talk about some of the issues that they may have, and really how we can provide better care and a quality of life for them. In veterinary medicine, I frequently say age is not a disease, but age is a number. And so what constitutes a senior pet? What constitutes old? What constitutes geriatric? Well, unfortunately, in veterinary medicine, there isn't a agreed upon number that, you know, this is what is the definition of senior. This is what geriatric is. So let's look at human medicine and then let's look at our pets. So the AARP, right? So that's a big organization for older adults here in the United States. They say that a senior starts at 50 which means for cats in terms of AARP, that would be about nine years. And in dogs, it would be really between six to nine years. It's really age dependent when we're looking at our dog species because obviously small dogs age slower and bigger dogs age quicker. Now, geriatric is a different term. The World Health Organization applies the term geriatric for individuals over the age of 65, and that's for first and second world populations. For individuals living in third world countries, unfortunately, that age number is a lot lower to apply the term geriatric to. But if we look at the World Health Organization and we look at our dogs and cats, cats would be considered geriatric around 12 years of age and dogs really geriatric between eight to 12 years of age, size dependent. Now we also know that our breed, our size, our lifestyle, our genetics, the environment in which the animal is raised in actually play a part in how well that animal ages. For example, animals that are exposed to secondhand smoke may unfortunately have, especially if they're brachycephalic breeds, may have a risk of developing lung disease or even cancers at an earlier age. Animals that are obese, unfortunately, will not live as long as our animals that are kept at healthy weights. We've actually have studies to prove this at this point. And so while animals do age differently and at different rates, the vast majority of them who are senior are going to be senior around those ages and geriatric around those ages. I think it's important for us in veterinary medicine to understand that animals are going to have some issues as they get older. They're gonna start to have diminished senses. And let's talk about what those senses are because they play a role in our care of them and our communication with those pet parents. It's really important for us to communicate to them exactly what's happening. So first, one of the big things is as dogs and cats age, their ability to see things in the dark is gonna diminish first. And so the sight of this animal is going to decrease just a little bit. This is common in human beings as well. This is why as people get older, it's harder for them to drive in the dark. So where this comes into play is as an animal comes in from a very bright light, say the outside, and then walks into your darker, uh, you know, illuminated hospital, they may pause at the threshold of the door. This is important to communicate to clients because a lot of times older dogs and cats, unfortunately, they struggle with steps, especially as the steps are maybe in the shadows or in the dark. I had a three-legged dog and she would go through my dining room and run up the stairs every single night for bed. And I started noticing right around when she was like 11 or 12 years old, she would go through the dining room and she'd pause at the bottom of the stairs. And she'd eventually go up them, but unfortunately it would take her a little bit of time. 
As she got even older, she just refused to go up the stairs. I chalked it up to, yeah, she's a tripod. She's a three-legged dog. She must have arthritis. That would be a reasonable conclusion. Except for that, I realized she would go up steps completely fine if she could see them. My steps didn't have a light, and so I would have to turn on the dining room light and then the light at the top of the stairs. She used to just go up the stairs in the dark. But because, unfortunately, her ability to see in the dark diminished as she got older, she couldn't see the steps. So you know what I did? I bought these portable little lights that turned on. They were basically like motion lights that would turn on and they were battery operated and I stuck them to my wall. So she'd zip through my dining room, the lights would pop on and as soon as she could see the stairs, she would run right up them without any issues. So it turns out it had nothing to do with her arthritis, which she did have some and I was managing. It actually had to do with the light transitions. Another great example of this is when we bring animals in to radiology. It's often very dark room and sometimes they put the brakes on and we think them as being obstinate when reality is, is that they just can't see. They have no idea where you're taking them. Just turn the damn light on in the radiology room and probably that old dog or that old cat's going to be a lot less stressed out. The other thing that our animals lose as they get older is their ability to hear things. So the sound sense is going to diminish. To help combat that, we need to make sure we get in front of them, we alert them, we you know, look at them. Getting in front of patients before we pick them up is gonna help them, we don't wanna startle them. If the patient's facing the back of the cage, okay, move the blanket, shimmy them around so that they're looking at you first before you just reach in. And we need to express to our owners that obviously, they're not gonna hear as well. Talking a little bit louder, obviously not screaming, probably that would be uncomfortable for the people who can hear, but talking a little bit louder, you know, clapping their hands, getting the animal's attention to focus on them. Animals can read faces. You know this to be true because when you look disappointed in your dog, like they've done something wrong, even before you say something, they see your face and they usually go, oh, I should, I should not have done that, should I? No, you shouldn't have. And they can read your facial expression. A loss of taste buds is very normal in our older pets. Now, in with our older pets, especially with our feline patients, they unfortunately can have dental and renal failure, and this can add to a loss of taste, and so they can unfortunately become pickier eaters. So as our pet patients age, we need to express to our clients, like if they're not eating as well, first and foremost, get them into the vet clinic to make sure there isn't anything going on. But also, unfortunately, their taste buds change stinky foods, maybe to spice it up with a little bit of tuna fish. We need to try to encourage them to eat in ways that they want to be able to eat because again, taste buds, they do deteriorate over time. Smell. Smell is actually arguably the most important sense for dogs and perhaps the most important sense for our cat patients as well. Humans beings have about 5 million receptors. Comparatively, cats have about 80 million and dogs top the chart off at 300 million smell receptors. And that's why they rely on their sense of smell first. We don't know exactly what happens to their sense of smell, but it likely diminishes to some degree. This is true in human beings as well. As human beings get older, their sense of smell deteriorates. We just don't know what it is and what to the, what degree it is in our veterinary patients. We do know that if we have a senior pet who's also experiencing upper respiratory or airway issues, they're gonna probably have lower appetites because they have a decreased sense of taste and now they also have a decreased sense of smell. 
So since smell directly correlates to taste, you might need to warm up your patient's food, provide more enticing meals, that sort of thing. We also know that our older senior pets can experience something like an Alzheimer's-like process, especially in our dog patients. It's been diagnosed for at least the last 15 years, canine cognitive dysfunction, CCD. A study in UC Davis actually said that about 14 to 22% of our canine species will experience some type of cognitive dysfunction as they age. Pets that are diagnosed with this unfortunately can experience sleep patterns, forget their house training behaviors, develop anxiety, compulsive behaviors. It's important for us to educate pet owners. Alzheimer's in human patients is devastating. And ultimately what ends up happening is they forget to eat. They just stop eating. They don't want to eat. And then they eventually forget to breathe and they unfortunately die from Alzheimer's. I actually, my very first dog that I got out of college, she actually unfortunately developed CCD and lived with it for about a year and a half. But ultimately in the end, she was not eating. She didn't want to eat. And no matter what I tried to do to entice her to eat, I remember sobbing and like trying to force feed her, you know, ham and cheese and she'd spit it back out. She also got confused. There were moments where we would always walk the same trail every single day and we would always take the same route. I knew that she had canine cognitive dysfunction. I kind of suspected before this moment, but I definitely knew she had it when we went out on the trail and me and the other dog, we went to the right and I turned and there was no Serena and I didn't know where she was. And I'm there standing there looking, can't figure out where she is and I look, she had taken a left. Not only had she taken a left, but she was now following an owner that had two dachshunds and she seemed completely content. I ran over and I said, Serena. And she looked at me and was like, oh, hello there. And I realized in that moment, not only had she forgotten the route, but she wasn't quite sure who I was. And the gentleman who she had been walking with for the last couple minutes said, I, I wondered whose dog this was, but she seemed completely content like she was belonged to us. She had literally forgotten me. And in that moment, I knew she had Alzheimer's and it was devastating. She had forgotten her routines. She would start waking up at two in the morning and asking to go outside. And I was like, it's not outside time. And we'd go outside and she wouldn't go to the bathroom. She'd walk around and she'd come in and act like it was time to eat. She had completely forgotten her routines. And that's very true in Alzheimer human patients. And unfortunately for this disease process, it's very true for our canine patients. So again, it only affects a very small percentage of canines, but it's important that, and when owners are expressing to you, he seems to forget X, Y, and Z. It's like he doesn't know what time of day it is. We have these conversations and we figure out what's going on. Now, there are some drugs that can slow the progression. There's even some diets and foods that can help slow the progression. So it's important to have these conversations because a lot of owners just think, oh, well, he's older, he's having accidents. Well, he's having accidents because he can't remember to go where to go to the bathroom because he's having canine Alzheimer's essentially. So unfortunately, there are, you know, that syndrome and those disease processes that, that do pop up. In terms of cats, it's not been truly diagnosing cats, though it does dis- it, there is a lot of thought process that it does exist. We also know that outside of canine cognitive dysfunction, we can have just general forgetfulness. That's okay. Animals get older, their brains get older, people forget things all the time. I mean, I don't want to tell you, but I am getting up there in years. I'm I I'll say that I'm looking I can see 50 basically is what I'll tell you right now. <laughs> if that seems old for those of you older than me are like 
That is not old. That's still young. I still feel very much younger, but I can tell you at this age, officially, I need to write shit down. I do. I have to write things down. Otherwise I forget when people tell me things, I go, you need to send it in an email. You have to send me a text message. There's no way I'm going to remember whatever you're telling me. So that happens in our dogs and it happens in their cats. And so as dogs get older and as cats get older, when they get confused, they may vocalize. Some of you are like, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. That older cat that is walking around your house going, meow, 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 meow. Yeah, they may not know exactly where they're at or they're vocalizing to try to find you. Or maybe they're frustrated about something because they've forgotten whatever it is. Sometimes older dogs can become aggressive out of fear or disorientation. So their behavior may change simply because, well, they're getting older and they forget things, or they truly have a canine cognitive dysfunction, which is an Alzheimer's-like process. As our pet patients get older, arthritis, right? So vocalization is very rare when it comes to pets with arthritis. I don't know about you guys, but if you're older and have arthritis at all, bending down and getting up, you may actually vocalize. I will I will sit on the ground with a pet patient. I will get up and I'll go, ugh, right? Those noises that I didn't make in my 20s, I definitely am making now. As our pet patients get older, they are very good at not vocalizing. My older dog gets up in the morning and doesn't groan about it. I step out of bed and I go, ugh. My dog looks at me like, why are you complaining? Now, where this comes into play at the veterinary hospital is they can vocalize by restraint methods. Please don't scruff cats. I, I preach about this a lot. I actually did a to vlog about this. I did a blog about it as well. Please just don't scruff cats. It's not humane. It's not kind. There's many other restraint methods out there. If you are scruffing and your older cat is screaming, you're probably hurting it. They can develop neck arthritis. So shame on you, one, for scruffing in the first place. But secondly, you're injuring this very old cat. So older cats do vocalize when you pull back on their hind legs because you need a blood draw or whatever it is. In our cat and our dogs, guess what? Our small dogs, you try to pick them up and they yelp or try to snap at you, they might have arthritis all along their sternum. It might hurt to get picked up. When we're restraining or rolling a vein, yeah, that might hurt. They might have elbow arthritis. These are things we don't think about and we do all the time. So if your veterinary patient is seemingly painful, maybe we can give them some pain meds before we actually do the procedure. I see this a lot in when we take radiographs. When we're in radiology and we have an old dog or an old cat, we need to extend the legs out and they're fighting us. They're probably saying, hey, I need some pain meds. You're pulling on my old hip joints. I'm a 20-year-old cat. It hurts. Give me some drugs. And what about anesthesia in our older pets? Well, yes. Interestingly enough, our senior dogs and cats can have something called post-operative cognitive dysfunction. And this can cause them to be con cause confusion, agitation, aggression, or even depression when waking up from anesthesia. Now, this is a common phenomenon in older people undergoing anesthesia. And in fact, in 2008, Duke University released a study that human geriatric adults can experience this post-operative cognitive dysfunction for up to three months after being given anesthesia. And that's kind of scary. There was actually a study done a few years ago that sampled thousands of adults, ranging from very young all the way to older. They had to be at least 18, but 18 is still very young, all the way up to geriatric populations. And all participants were given memory tests before and then after anesthesia. About 36 to 41% of participants experienced some form of memory loss following the procedure. 
Now here's the thing, all of them fully recovered, except for those who were over the age of 60. Over the age of 60, about 12.7% of the population actually continued to have memory loss up to three months following the anesthesia procedure. Now, how can we like test memory loss in our veterinary patients? We can't. We're just happy if our dogs go outside and go to the bathroom, our cats actually go into the litter box. But what about those pet patients who may be experiencing some type of post-operative cognitive dysfunction? How can we quantify that? Well, I would say that we probably do see it in veterinary medicine. And again, it's something that we don't really talk about. Really no studies exist. And I'm not sure there's a lot of solutions. But if you've ever had that old geriatric dog or that old geriatric cat woke up from a dental prophy and they seem completely confused and they're vocalizing their cage and they're panting excessively and some animals might seem fully depressed and some might actually seem highly confused and agitated, I gather they don't even know they're at the vet clinic because that's true for older patients. Human patients who wake up from anesthesia, they don't even remember they went under general anesthesia. Now they're in the hospital and the nurse is saying to them, you're in a hospital and they're like, no, I'm not. I'm not in a hospital, but you are. So that senior dog who's barking its head off and spinning around and acting like a lunatic is probably has no idea where it's at. So we need to be compassionate and kind to these animals. It's kind of a catch-22. Do we sedate them? That might cause more confusion. But do we allow them to be agitated? Probably not the best thing either. But just be aware that postoperatively, sometimes our senior and geriatric animals probably suffer from postoperative cognitive dysfunction. Again, it's not termed in veterinary medicine, but that's a very real thing. So what can we do for our veterinary patients that we haven't already talked about? One, we definitely need to just make our hospitals more senior friendly. You know, when we look at just how they see the veterinary hospital, you've got three steps to get up into your veterinary hospital. To the old dog, that's a mountain. They're looking at those three steps like, uh, can you build a ramp on one side to allow for dogs to get up there? What does that look like? When we look at our laminate floors, yeah, they're great for cleaning. That's great, especially, you know, if you have tile floors, same thing. But to our old dogs, it's like a sheet of ice. They're like, oh my God. You want me to walk on a laminate floor? That's terrible. Can we get floor runners out? Can we bring out, you know, removable carpets? What does that look like? Oh, the radiology table again, just the worst. It's hard. It's cold. You're laying them on their side. That probably is uncomfortable. You're pinning them to the table. Again, extending those legs for those IV catheters. We have to think about that. We have to put goggles on from that patient perspective. Is there ways to try to desensitize these patients and to try to make it fun, even though they're older? You know, they've come to your hospital, but now it's particularly scary for them. They've never loved it, but can we do peanut butter? Can we do spray cheese? Can we do yummy treats? What can we do to offer them rewards in making it less stressful? And just think about your procedures that you're about to do to the senior geriatric animal. And can we figure out ways to reduce the anxiety, the fear, the stress, the pain? Maybe we know that this animal has massive osteoarthritis. Can we give them pain meds before that procedure? What about even things like our routine procedures, like IV catheters? If they're reacting when we extend the elbow, well then what can we do for them? Can we think about premedicating them even before we put in the IV catheter? Radiology, we talked about, you know, those pain medications. For surgeries, do we need to tie and extend the front legs? Do we have to do that? Is there a way that we can maybe do it less so? Because that poor arthritic dog that could barely walk and now we extend their legs fully and we tie them to the surgery table. Ugh. When they wake up from anesthesia, that's gotta hurt really hard, right? Like that's even more painful. So what does that look like? 
And what about things like restraint? You know, again, we don't often think about pain medications for a lot of our dogs that are being compliant, but when we're requiring them to lay in lateral positions and not move, maybe we do need to give them some pain medications, especially if they're fighting us a little bit. They're probably not trying to be difficult. They're probably saying, it hurts. And you know, one thing I always say is, does your grandmother sleep on concrete? I hope not. I really hope she doesn't sleep on concrete. And when we look at our veterinary hospital, we've got these metal cages, plastic some for some individuals, and they're hard. And we give them like one towel, one blanket, and we go, Godspeed, old, old pet. I hope you're comfortable there. I need our old pets to have plush bedding. A tiny towel is simply not okay. We know that a nicer bed equals a happier pet equals better sleep. And that honestly resonates with any age group. I know that I probably don't want to sleep on concrete, but if my young youth, yeah, I slept on the floor in hotel rooms because it was cheaper to shove eight people in a hotel room when we're going out clubbing than it is to all make sure we have actual sleep accommodations. And I would just sleep on the floor with a pillow and I'd be fine. I'm not doing that now. I'm older. There's no way you will find me on the floor. So across the board, people, a nicer bed equals happier person and pet equals better sleep. Sure. But as the animal gets older, no, we should not expect them to sleep on just a tiny towel in our cages and allow our owners to bring in more comforts and mobile devices. You know, a lot of times we give back everything to the owner because we don't want it chewed or whatnot. But I challenge you for our older animals, why can't they have their own bed? If the owners understand that, yes, the dog might wake up and pee all over it. If the owner has a really nice orthopedic bed, why can't we have them bring it in? Just explain to the owner and say, look, waking up, there might get some blood on it. There might be some urine on it. If I was that owner, you already know the answer. All of you are saying the same thing. I do not care that there's pee, poop, and uh, and blood on that bed. I will wash it. If it means my dog's going to wake up in their own bed, oh yeah, hell yeah. I will literally buy them a new bed. So just explain that. What? Why can't they have wheels? You know, a lot of our veterinary patients, they're now having all these wonderful mobile devices, including sometimes their wheels. We want to give it back to the owner, but on walks, why can't they just be in their cart and be happy? Why can't they have their own slings and harnesses? Whatever the owner has, let's think about allowing that owner to bring it in so that their cat, so that their dog, whatever it is, is happier because they're older. We need to allow for exceptions as our pets get older. And I want to challenge all of you to really think outside the box how we can help our senior pets as they age. They obviously are more prone to diseases and illnesses. So what can we do? Well, in my general practice, my very first job, I found a love for senior animals even then. And I wanted to give back to them. But what I found is that we didn't do anything differently for them. They came in for their routine visits. And a lot of times we said to owners like, hey, they're older, would you like to do some blood work? Some owners were like, sure. Some owners were like, nah. But what happens if we developed a wellness program? Was it a little bit more cost effective for them to get that CBC in chemistry, to identify kidney disease earlier, maybe even do a radiograph? You don't necessarily need to do three view radiographs. In fact, there's some studies out there that suggest that just a lateral radiograph is gonna provide you a lot of information. We just need maybe a quick POCUS exam, you know, that point of care ultrasound exam. Just a quick like flash to see, do we see any tumors growing on the spleen? Overall is, how does the heart overall look? 
just that's what we're looking for. We're probably not going to catch all the subtle things on radiographs and probably not even on unless we're doing a full ultrasound. But we're really trying to see is there gross disease anywhere that we're missing and things like hemangiosarcomas. They can grow very large. We don't see a single sign and symptom. We don't even see it on blood work until it ruptures. And so doing a quick abdominal ultrasound super fast, you know, just look for the tumor, that could give us some early indication that, hey, wait a minute, I see something on the animal's spleen. Just taking a quick lateral radiograph and saying, hey, I think I see something in the middle of the abdomen. Then we can get to that animal a lot sooner and maybe the disease won't spread as quickly. Is there a way to bundle a, a senior wellness package so owners aren't overwhelmed at picking and choosing? We can say, hey, we have two packages available. It includes also the dental profi. Ding, ding, hint, hint, wink, wink. You're making money now for your veterinary hospital, but you're also contributing back to that senior in a way that actually helps benefit them as well. We can include one that includes the dental profi, well, you know, the whole shebang, as I like to say, dental profi, lateral uh, chest and lateral abdomen, maybe a POCUS exam, CBC chemistry. Great, we get all of that. And the next step, we pull the dental profi out. The step after that, we don't do any imaging, it's just CBC chemistry, but we offer them at a discounted rate, 10, 15%. And again, we're still gonna make money on it, but at least again, we're contributing back to the senior. And if it's something that's affordable, the owner is more likely to do it for every year of that older animal's life. And if we catch something, great. And if we don't, that's okay as well. It still gives that owner peace of mind to say that, hey, right now in this moment, we believe your senior pet's doing pretty okay. So we have to have these conversations with owners, develop out a sort of that senior wellness plan, whatever it looks like. And if nothing else, I hope this podcast has helped to give you some ideas of ways that you can be kinder to your senior pets, ways you can cater to the senior pet. The senior pet is pretty special. Uh, it is an animal that has been with us for a long period of time, and especially for those of you who worked in general practice, you know, you got to see them when they were puppies and kittens and now they're getting older. There's something super special about the, the entire cycle of life, right? So let's embrace the, our, our older animals. Let's give back to them. Let's treat them with the respect and the love and the care they deserve. Thank you so much for listening. Keep on being unicorns. Please check out my other blogs, vlogs, and podcasts at vetteamtraining.com.